Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast. Once again, you've reached episode number 288, entitled The Importance of of making your website accessible. It was published on Thursday the 21st of July 2022. My name's Nathan Wrigley and before we join our guest for the interview, which is Amber Hines by the way, a few short bits of housekeeping. If you're into the stuff that we produce over at WP Builds, which is typically a podcast on a Thursday, that's what you're listening to now, and also the This Week in WordPress show, which happens on a Monday and then is repurposed as a podcast on a Tuesday, well, you can keep up to date by going to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. There's options there to follow us on Twitter, find our YouTube channel and subscribe to our newsletter so that we can keep you up to date, no spam guaranteed, with our email list. Another thing I might recommend is going to the WP Builds Deals page. I mention this each and every week. It's like Black Friday, but every single day of the week, significant amounts off with coupon codes. So it's things like plugins, blocks, themes, and so on. So you might want to take a look if you're in the market for something this week. That's wpbuilds.com forward slash deals. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate a share. Perhaps you could share us on Twitter. Our handle is at WPBuilds. Or if you're feeling a bit more fruity, maybe go and write us a review on your podcast player of choice. Apple Podcasts seems to really, really help swell the listener number. So I appreciate anybody who does that. The WP Builds podcast was brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL, and 24-7 support. Bundle that with the hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place. Invoice clients and get 30% off new purchases. And you're going to find out more by going to go.me forward slash WP builds. Once more, go.me forward slash WP builds. And we really do thank GoDaddy Pro for their ongoing support for helping us put on the WP Builds podcast. So on the podcast today, we have Amber Hines. Amber Hines is a bona fide accessibility expert. Over the last several years, she's been really fine-tuning her process, figuring out how to make websites accessible, as accessible as possible. And she's here today to help school me and potentially you into how you can do this. So we get into a conversation about really what are the legal responsibilities? What are the things that you must do? And then we stray into a conversation about how we actually achieve it. What kind of tooling is there out there? What happens if you are not 100% accessible, but you're just starting out on the journey? What if you've got a boss who doesn't care about this and just wants to ship websites quickly? We tackle all of these things. The whole conversation is absolutely fascinating and 100% talking about accessibility. I hope that you enjoy it. I am joined on the podcast today by Amber Hines. Hello, Amber. Hey, Nathan. Glad to be here. I am really glad to have you on. We're actually 
we're getting to be good friends, aren't we? We've spoken to each other on many occasions now. You come on to the This Week in WordPress show, which we do, and we've had you on the, the WP Tavern podcast, and uh, for good reason, because you talk about a really, well, not just interesting, but very important topic. We will get to that yeah. very interesting and important topic in a moment, but the bland question, which always needs to be asked, I hope you don't mind, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, perhaps, what's your relationship with WordPress, and all of that. That's fun stuff. Well, I am based out of Georgetown, Texas, which is a little bit north of Austin, Texas. And I'm the CEO of a company called Equalize Digital. Uh, we are a certified B Corporation and a WordPress VIP agency partner. And we build websites for um, government, higher ed, Nonprofit, large, very large businesses. Um, so we do very custom WordPress installs and builds that are focused on website accessibility. And we also have a software product called Accessibility Checker, which sort of came out of our work for those clients and their need to have reports on accessibility inside their website after we launch it for them so they can try to keep it accessible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you really are thoroughly embedded in the whole accessibility movement. How how long ago was it that people began to be concerned that there were things that were not accessible and therefore things that needed to be addressed? I've been doing this since websites were made with tables and, you know, there was no um, CMSs or anything like that. And it feels at that point like that debate didn't exist, but slowly it's been creeping up the importance in the agenda to the point where now... I feel it's really dominating. People are talking about it a lot. So how long ago, how old is this uh, fight that you've been having? Well, so web content accessibility guidelines have been around for more than 20 years. Mm. Uh, so there have been people who are aware of it and trying to put out recommendations for how websites can be made more accessible. But I feel like really I have noticed in the past, I want to say like four years is when there's been a lot more attention paid to it. And there's been a much bigger spike since um, COVID because yes. of how much people transition to engaging with businesses through the websites, but especially during lockdown times. Um, so there's been this, you know, this small tale of it, but really in the more recent years um, is when it's picked up speed worldwide. I think um, in the WordPress community specifically, I feel like we're really noticing it more in like the last year and a half where, where there's been more awareness by agencies and people who create websites versus just the accessibility team that is working on accessibility and core WordPress, which of course has been going on for a very long time. Hmm. Yeah, I feel that the word accessibility is now very much in the mainstream, but it may be useful to describe what it actually means. And what I'm thinking here is not not the tooling which we might use or the things which we might do to resolve the problems. I, I just want to spend a few minutes going through all of the different situations that people find themselves needing accessibility to be born in mind. So what comes to mind immediately for me are people who, for example, are... 
um, struggling with their sight, for example, they may need a, a different experience. But I am imagining that there's a broad and rich spectrum of things under the umbrella of accessibility. And I'd like to cover off as many of those as possible, because I'll bet there's some in there that if we hadn't given it thought before, probably did need some thought. There is, there's a very broad spectrum. Um, so as you mentioned, people who are blind or have low vision, um, so this could range from they have absolutely no sight and they use assistive technology like a screen reader that actually reads out the content on um, their computer to them, or they might be someone who just has low vision so they can see some things and they will frequently be zoomed in so they might access your website always at 200 or 300 percent zoom um, and then also in the vision impairment something people don't think about is color blindness which is actually a very very common disability and in certain cases, that might mean if you're using color alone to denote something. So that's one reason why we say links always have to have underline in a body text. You can't just use color because if you use a certain color, let's say you use red because that's your brand color. Well, now people who can't see red may not know there's a link there if there's no underline. Um, so that's there's a, a range of vision impairments. Um, Deafness or having um, some hearing impairment is another uh, common thing, and that's why we need transcripts and captions on um, videos or transcripts for podcasts. And then there's a wide range of mobility issues, which could be um, very severe where someone is using eye tracking perhaps because they have ex like absolutely no use of their hands. Um, or perhaps they don't have hands. Um, and then there's also some people where they have limited use and they might use alternative keyboards. Like there is a, a keyboard called the Darcy USB, which allows people that could just use one or two fingers to tap out in Morse code and use a couple of buttons to engage with the web. Um, there are also brain disabilities or which could be a traumatic brain injury which could happen you know if someone is a military veteran or if they've been in a car accident or it could be a cognitive disability that someone was born with um, and this could impact a lot of things like just their understanding of the overall usability and function of the website it could impact their reading level and their ability to read and understand content um, or memory sometimes is the case and this happens with aging a lot and that's one reason why we say you always have to have a visible label above your fields on forms and not just placeholder text because when you start typing in there and there's placeholder text it just goes away and some people might forget wait a minute what was i supposed to be putting in this field um and so that's why you want to have a visible label um but and then let's see what else am i missing the other big thing that maybe some people don't think about is what we call situational limitations. So these are instances where people who perhaps don't think of themselves as disabled or they don't identify as disabled, but they can be impacted by the accessibility of a website. So that's like if I am riding on, you know, a, a crowded train or a subway and I want to watch a video, but I forgot my headphones and there are no captions on the video. Now I can't watch the video. 
Um, so that's an instance where I'm a hearing person, but having an accessibility feature will benefit me. Um, another one that comes into that is language learners. So people that are engaging with content that's not in their native language frequently benefit from um, from captions or things like that, or making sure that you have everything coded out properly so that it can work with the translation tool if it's being translated. Uh, so there's really a very wide range of abilities and disabilities that website accessibility can impact, and, and really it impacts all of us. It's really, there's an awful lot in there, and I, I've done a couple of podcasts with you, and yet still I'm learning new things because there was a couple in there, especially towards the end. You mentioned the brain injuries category. I don't think we, we covered that off at all before, and, and honestly, that that really hadn't occurred to me, and that's fascinating. But also the the situational limitation one as well, that's new and completely unique to me. And and, and actually, it's probably the, the, the only one I can truly identify with. I can tell you that I've sat on a train and refused to watch a video because of the fact that I was going to disturb people around me. So for me, anyway, that that is the, the one that I immediately get. But let's rewind right to the top of the list. You mentioned vision as the first one, and you mentioned things like screen readers. Let's let's dig down into what these people are actually doing. Um, mm -hmm. How do they manage the website? Because for me, and I would imagine for a, a significant proportion of the people listening to this, the process is sit at the computer or hold the phone and there's no impediment. You just you observe what's on the screen. You read what's on the screen. You listen to what comes through the speaker or the headphones, and, and you, you use the mouse. And you use the mouse. And there's no thought to anything else apart from those utilities for interacting. And of course, for people who, particularly in vision, which we'll go for first, there's a completely different way of interacting. So could you just describe some of that to to paint a picture for people who haven't given this thought before? Yeah, so someone who uses a screen reader, first of all, they are a keyboard only user. Um, so obviously they would not be able to use a mouse if they're on a desktop or a laptop computer because they can't see where the mouse is pointing. Uh, so they are 100% exploring the website with a keyboard. And if they're on a Mac, they're typically using VoiceOver, which is the screen reader software that is built into Macs. Um, on Windows, there's a couple of different ones. Um, one of the ones that has really gained popularity is called NVDA because it's a free open source screen reader. So anyone can go install it. And I highly recommend if you're a web developer or a designer or a content creator to go install it and try it out if you're on Windows. Otherwise, you've already got VoiceOver if you're on Mac. And so they would have that on all the time um, because it's not just for websites. It would be how they use uh, Word, for example, if they have that mm. or any other software that's on their computer and um, they can set it to go very fast. That's the thing. If you hear a, a native screen reader user doing uh, exploring on the web or using their screen reader, it's going to read out so fast that if you're not used to it, you might be like, I don't even know what it's saying. How can you understand that? Um, but there's different tricks that can be used in screen readers in order to help them find the content they're looking for and move quickly through a website. So you and I, when we go to websites, I'm assuming we don't read every word. Uh, we skim, we jump around, 
because we're looking for specific things and rarely do we sit down and read literally every word. Hmm. So one of the primary ways that they will engage with a website is you can hear in your screen reader lists of headings that are on a page and then you can just jump to a heading and then hear the content that is below that heading. Um, and so that's one reason why one of the things that everyone can do, and frequently this is just set up in your content editor, not even in your code, um, is making sure that you're using, that one, you have headings in your content, and two, that you're using them in the proper numerical order. Uh, so you only have one heading one on your page, and then you use heading twos, heading threes, head, heading fours, et cetera, but you use them in order as if your document is an outline. So thinking back to college or high school when you had to create outlines before yes. you could write an essay. Yes. Yeah. It's it's the same sort of idea because those numbers is going are going to help them understand how the content exists on a page and help them jump around. Um, skip links is something that we frequently talk about. So uh, a best practice, and if you're using a WordPress theme that has been reviewed as being accessibility ready, they will all have skip links. And basically what that means is when you first come to the website, if you hit tab, it would, the first link, which typically is visually hidden until you hit tab, will pop up and it will say skip to content. And that would allow someone to go past the navigation and not be forced to tab through every item in the navigation before they can actually get to the content of the page, which is really important. Um, another thing that's a shortcut that screen reader users use is they can hear a list of every link that's on the page. And again, this is a fast way if I'm trying to find out you know, I want to find someone's email address and I'm on a directory page. I don't want to have to read through all the content. I could just listen to the email address links, for example. Or if I'm trying to find, you know, a specific guideline or something like that and I want to hear it. And that's why we talk about not having ambiguous link anchor text. So that, for example, if you just have text that says read more or linking the word here, we see that a lot. People yeah. will say, con to contact us, click here, <laughs> and they'll, they'll link the word here. Well, if someone on a screen reader is hearing a list of links on that page, those kinds of links have no meaning because they aren't getting any of the surrounding context. They're literally hearing link here, link yeah. here, link, read more. So you really want to try and make sure that you're actually linking text that is meaningful if heard 100% on its own without any context from other text that may be around that link on the page. So, you know, there's, I'd say like those are some of the top things for screen reader users and ways that they engage with the website. Um, I think I mentioned, you know, sometimes people, if they have some vision will be super zoomed in. Um, color contrast can matter a lot for people who are low vision. Um, and, and that's really making sure that you have a significant difference between the color that you're using for your text and any background colors that they're on. And I'll say that's, that's one that gets me sometimes. I go on websites and I have corrective lenses, but I don't really consider myself to have a vision impairment. But especially if I'm outside and I'm on my phone <laughs> and it's sunny, 
Um, but even at my desk, there have been times when I'm like, boy, I can barely read this and I'll zoom in on a website or I, you know, as someone who understands code, I, I open the inspector and I literally change the color of the font <laughs> in the in the dev tools in the inspector in order for me to be able to read the web page. Um, There's a so many things to unpack there. Um, obviously, hopefully, if this is the first time that you've come across this conversation, your brain is now whirring and you're presumably thinking about going back and maybe modifying those hashtags and getting the links all in line and changing the color contrast and what have you. Now, in order to make all this happen, I'm guessing that there are a range of tools out there that people like you and I may be able to get a hold of. You mentioned uh, some of the things which are available on Windows and Mac for the people who are um, listening to the content. But for people like us who are building the sites, are there any tools that we can go to to see how we're doing? You know, as we've when we've written our blog post, is there a tool that we can point towards that blog post or web page or whatever it may be and get some sort of advice, some critical help that might point to the things that we need to do in, uh, I don't know, a list of priorities. Yeah, there are a few tools available. So I mentioned early on, we have a plugin called Accessibility Checker. There's a free version of it on um, the plugin repository on wordpress.org and it will put a report sort of like SEO tools do, yeah. right on the post or page edit screen. And we don't have any restrictions on posts or pages in the free version. So you could use it on, if you have a basic website with no custom post types, you could use the free version forever. Um, and, and that will do some scanning and point things out for you. Another really popular one that a lot of people are aware of that's outside of WordPress is called Wave. And that's a, a single page scanner, so it won't do any sort of bulk scanning like our tool can do, but um, it's one that is very commonly used and they have a browser extension. So you could either go to their website or you can install like the, I have the Chrome Wave extension and I just click a little button and it runs a report on the front end of any website. So it doesn't have to be one I manage, right? And, um, and, put, and it puts up some problems that are on the website for me. Uh, as a developer, I highly recommend um, Axe, which is made by a company called DQ. They have a free version. They also have a pro version. And I think for any developers, it is totally worth paying for the pro version because what their pro version does is they have some guided tests. So one of the things that's really important to understand about accessibility is that not all problems can be identified by an automated tool. Even even my plugin accessibility checker, we we have disclaimer right on it that you know not everything can be identified identified by an automated tool. Some things require a human to assess them. So for example, we know that people on screen readers need to have alternative text or alt text on images so that the screen reader can describe the image for them. Our our plugin accessibility checker can tell you if alternative text is missing from an image and flag that for you. But if the alternative text is filled in, but the alternative text is wrong, 
we can't do that because we can't really assess what this image is and what is the context in which the image is being added to the page because alternative text is not really just about um, literally there's a cat in this picture. It's, it's more about, you know, why was this specific cat picture added to this blog post, yeah, right? Yeah. Like what, what purpose is it playing? What, what emotions does it convey? If it's a link to something, you know, where does it, maybe it doesn't even matter that there's a cat in there. You know, you don't describe, you know, this is a white cat sitting on a couch. You actually would want your alternative text to describe where the link is going. So, you know, see all adoptable cats or something would be more relevant than actually describing what's visually in the image. Uh, and and so what's helpful about the, the Axe tool, and this is something we're hoping to get to at some point with our product, is that they have some tools in their pro version where you can do a guided test and they would, for example, um, you know, say here is here are all the focusable elements on the page and the order at which we we see them in the tab stop. Is this correct? Is anything missing? Um, so it, it, if you're trying to learn how to do some of the manual testing that you need to do, I think that that's a great tool and one that I highly recommend. Uh, the wave tool I mentioned earlier is useful to be aware of because it's quick and easy. And I will say here in the United States where there's a lot of people um, increasingly, we're seeing a lot of lawsuits around websites not being accessible. A lot of times the lawsuits talk about wave or problems being found with wave so it's probably good to be aware of that but i don't know that i think it's the most thorough tool that's really interesting we'll get to the law side of it in a minute because i think that's really quite fascinating but okay so imagine that my my quickest route is to use one of the tools either your tool or wave or any of the ones that i found out on the internet and I use it and I make all the corrections that are recommended to me. I'm interested mm -hmm. in the law around this. And let's concentrate. I'm in the UK, but I'm imagining that your understanding of UK law is probably different than your understanding of the law in, well, Texas and the United States in general. So let's concentrate on the US law just because it's easier. What is the what what is the law? I mean, is this uh, a legal responsibility that you have that's enshrined in law, and breaking it is an offence? Are there certain characteristics that you absolutely cannot afford to omit certain things, whereas other things are? Well, it would be helpful if you added that in. That would be nice, but but it's not essential. Um, and do you know? Yeah. So, is it more legal or moral responsibility? So there are laws worldwide. Um, I am most familiar with the U.S. laws, as you mentioned. I Let's do go know with that, in yeah. that, yeah, there are definitely laws in the U.K. around um, government websites. I'm less familiar with what it might be for public businesses. Um, but here in the United States, we have uh, two primary laws that come into play. One is called Section 508, and that specifically applies to any website that has received federal funding. So this could be a government website. It could also be a higher education institution. It could also be a nonprofit that has received a federal grant. And then we have a law called the Americans with Disabilities Act. And this law specifically applies to, um, in, with Title III, it does apply to any businesses that serve the public. And actually on March 18th, the Department of Justice put out a statement 
more explicitly saying, yes, this does apply to websites, because there, there were some cases where during lawsuits, businesses tried to get the lawsuit dismissed because they said, well, the Americans with Disabilities Act only applies to public places and not websites. And um, so there had been a lot of people asking the Department of Justice to really weigh in on this, and they did. And they said, no, it does apply. We've That's been our consistent stance. And in fact, we're increasing enforcement. <laughs> um, so really here in the United States, there is a legal requirement for everyone to have an accessible website. And if you do not, you do open yourself up to the possibility of a lawsuit, which could come from the Department of Justice because they have sued even for-profit businesses or um, it could come from uh, an individual with disabilities who has who is able to show harm from your website not being accessible um, and the other really big one that we talk about a lot here in the u.s is actually in ontario because sometimes there's overlap between businesses in canada and in the u.s and ontario has probably what i've seen as the strictest accessibility law um, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, and they um, actually have fines which can be, I want to say it's like 500,000 uh, Canadian dollars per day. It's, I, it's, it's can be very high, especially if you're a business with more than 50 employees, which is their, one of their limits on that but they do have some requirements so any business with more than 25 employees actually have to has to submit a yearly statement to the government on the accessibility of their website um, so so there is definitely a legal requirement and then um, beyond that I think yeah there's there's a moral requirement we as human beings I think should want to do the right thing and want to help other human beings and 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 even maybe there's an ethical obligation beyond you know ensuring that the public can access your business but also what if you have an employee with disabilities i mean i i heard once where there was someone who didn't even realize until something came up during um, a logo redesign that their business partner was colorblind and and so you you maybe don't even really know mm. that there are people in your audience that may work for you or be your customers or be your partner that has a limitation that could be impacted negatively by your website and really it's just the right thing to do in terms of the the legal responsibility because obviously the moral responsibility is is an ideal and if we left it in the the moral responsibility framework i'm sure a lot of it would be left just because of the nature of things so the legal responsibility is crucial it matters you've talked about in particularly in ontario and probably in the us and i'm imagining large parts of europe and other parts of the world there there are there are fines to be had there are consequences but i'm curious as to what where you've got to begin this journey. So in other words, if, if I've got a really old website um, and there's, I've put no effort at all into accessibility, am I better doing 10% because that's all I can manage in the next few weeks? That literally I'm, you know, I, I would have to bring the website offline if I was, if I, if I, you know, um, if I try to attempt 100% of it at once, I'm just not going to manage it. So I aim for 10% or 20% or, or I aim for three of the 10 things that are on my to-do list there. 
What's the advice around that? Is it better to make a start and do something? Or should we aim for 100% get everything done right now? So it, I would say for most businesses, the most realistic way to approach it is to make a start and make a plan for what remediation looks like over time. Um, if you have an existing website that you are not replacing, it's, um, it's less likely that you're going to go to 100%, you know, without a lot of work. Especially, you know, some people are in better positions than others, depending upon, you know, what theme they started with. Yeah. Um, there are some themes that uh, just, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's the developer is unaware or the developer didn't care, I don't know, like that they're not a great starting point. And sometimes it's better off to start over. Um, but I will say that even on even when we're building websites, for our clients, we don't we don't say that the new rarely do we say that the new website will be one hundred percent accessible or one hundred percent web content accessibility guidelines compliant, WCAG compliant, and really that's because for the most part we are working on large websites that may have thousands of blog posts mm. or tens of thousands of WooCommerce products. And we won't guarantee anything is perfect unless we've looked at it all. And there's probably a lot of technical debt or accessibility problems in the content itself that we're importing from the old website. So like I mentioned those click here links, if you have a blog post from like a year ago, you know, and nobody's looking at it, there might be one of those in there, right? Um, so really you're looking at even on a new build doing some sort of remediation over time and I really like to draw a parallel to uh, search engine optimization or mm. website speed and performance and it's not really something that you do once you don't ever say well I'm gonna SEO optimize my website and then I'm done and and it will just be optimized for search engines from this point forward and I won't ever have to work on it again and accessibility is in many ways the same um, there are definitely major improvements that can be made one time and then have lasting effects um, and there's something you know like if you didn't have skip links you add that you add it one time and it fixes every page if they use that same header template um, but there's other things where if you're adding new content or you have plugins on your website and you're running updates i mean that's that's one thing you know, with using a tool like ours where it constantly sort of monitors, you could set it to do weekly or monthly scans at the pro level, and then you can see at a high level. So if your plugins update or you have someone adding new blog posts or someone's gone mm -hmm. in and edited your about page, um, you know, the content is changing and you need to be thinking about accessibility every time rather than a one time. But I think I think if you're just getting started, it's important to sort of think about what your budget is, what your, you know, what the timeline is. Obviously, people who are being sued, their timeline is a lot different than someone who's like, I'm coming at this because I understand it's important and it's something that we want to do and we're committing to it as an organization. Um, and so then you can kind of figure out what pages and changes will make the biggest impact. So fix all the problems in your header. 
then fix all the problems in your footer, right. those will probably resolve a lot of problems across your entire website because they're all using the same header and footer. And then, and then we look at things like what pages get the most traffic. We also think about um, maybe we do an archive page and an example single page from every post type that exists on the website. So you know that you're getting anything that might be in the template for those individual um, post types or the archive pages for them. So there are different ways that you can approach it. With the the WordPress side of things, you know, we've got this lovely WordPress community and people like you are in it who are obviously coming on podcasts and things to try and push this agenda forward. I'm just wondering if there's any places, any blogs that you recommend or WordPress groups, Slack channels that people could join if they were curious and wanted to get stuck into this a bit more? Yeah, I, I realized actually when I introduced myself, I didn't mention that <laughs> I'm the lead organizer for the WordPress Accessibility Meetup, uh, which is a virtual meetup. We're permanently virtual. We're always on Zoom. Uh, we're twice a month. It's on um, the first Thursday of the month in the morning for me here in the US and the third Monday in the evening for me. Um, and so we kind of split so that we get we get a good worldwide audience and it's just different people from different parts of the world show up at on the monday evening versus the thursday morning um and those are all live captions so we pay someone to come in and caption with a human um and they're on zoom and you can just find it in the normal like wordpress meetup section wordpress accessibility meetup um, we also have a Facebook group for that meetup, which allows people to connect afterwards. Um, beyond the meetup, there's a conference, which all of the recordings are um, up from the last time it ran, which was in uh, 2020, but it's gonna be happening again in November, um, which is called WP Accessibility Day. And that uh, I'm, lead organizer with Joe Dolson. He's the other lead organizer of that. And it's a 24 hour event where um, people come and we have a single track, but you can come and talk all about accessibility. Um, I know WordCamp Santa Clarita also had, they had three tracks, but they dedicated one of their three tracks during their WordCamp to accessibility and all of the talks from their WordCamps are up on um, wordpress.tv. So that's super awesome and a great place to go learn like WordPress specific accessibility. And then there's some different resources outside of WordPress. And one that I mentioned earlier was Axe by DQ as their tool where they have a conference called AxeCon um, and anyone can go register and watch all of the recordings for free. And they had, I wanna say four maybe five sessions over three days. So there's a wealth of information there. Thank you so much. By the way, Amber, did my phone go off during that? Did you hear my phone? I, I did not hear your phone. My phone went off and it was really loud and I couldn't work out whether it was in my headphones or whether it was, anyway, because it's on silent and I was just conscious that it might have, you might have lost your stride because of that. Uh, right, let me just put that. I need to edit this bit of the conversation out. This is 3540, roughly. 3540. Okay, I'll go on to my next question. Okay, where were we at? Okay, 
So given that there's probably a lot of work to do for a lot of people, the 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 idea, I guess, would be to go out and find solutions. And in many cases, you might be beguiled into thinking that there are some simple solutions. And there are products on the market, which we probably spend the next couple of minutes talking about, which purport to to solve your accessibility problems in an instant. You basically install something, add a bit of JavaScript, whatever it may be, and it all goes away. The headaches all go away. They're often associated with solutions like overlays, something that's put on top of the website. Do you want to just talk through what your posture is on that? Sure. I think if it sounds too good to be true, <laughs> it probably is like many things in life. Yeah. And so the reality of install this JavaScript snippet in the header of your website and we'll make everything accessible with our AI technology in 24 to 48 hours is that they will not. <laughs> um, there's a couple of reasons. One was what we've already spoken about, which is that AI simply cannot detect everything. Um, and or it maybe it can detect things, but it won't know how to solve it the right way. Um, whether it's writing proper alternative text for images or being able to assess if actually the alt text on this image is blank because it's decorative and it's supposed to be. So don't go add alt text to it. Um, to a variety of other things. Um, beyond that, I've read a lot um, from people with disabilities and we actually hire people with disabilities to test websites for mm. our clients. And so I've spoken with them in person and I have not met a single person or even been able to find. I tried on LinkedIn and Twitter a couple months ago to, really hard. I was like, I just want to find one person who uses assistive technology, who likes overlays and finds them helpful, but does not work for an overlay company. And I could not find one. And like a ton of people in the space shared it, like we couldn't find anyone. So, you know, for me, that's a sign. If people um, who have disabilities say that these tools aren't helpful, and I know it, it seems cool because a lot of them will, will not only do they purport to fix things behind the scenes with JavaScript, but they'll put something up there where there's a little, uh, you might see like the accessibility icon, or sometimes you see someone in a wheelchair or something like that. And, and you can open it and it'll do things like change all the fonts or make everything bigger or flip it to high contrast mode or turn on, like it has so many different bells and whistles. And, and most people with disabilities will say, well, I, I don't, I already have something that handles whatever I need on my computer or installed in my browser because I don't just need it for one website, I need it for everything. And so having this tool on the front is not helpful to me. I wouldn't use it because I've already figured out how to do this on most websites if I need that. Um, I've seen instances where when you have one of those overlays um, installed and it knows, it can tell someone's using a screen reader where it will hijack the experience and Ew. actually stop their screen reader from working or it will not allow them to engage with the website the way they normally would. So so that for me is a big thing that people with disabilities don't like them and say they don't work. Um, yeah, so I just, and, and I guess the third point on that is that in the last year in the United States, um, about a quarter of the lawsuits 
were against companies who already had one of those overlay solutions on their website. So they were trying to make their website accessible, but they were using an overlay to do it. They got sued. And in almost every cases, when those companies settle, every settlement that I've read or seen, part of the agreement in the settlement is that they will remove the accessibility overlay and they will do accessibility correctly. And so that for me is a big sign, you know, when some of these companies, and some of them are better than others, some of them, they use fear tactic marketing and they basically are like, you're going to get sued and the only way to not get sued is to use our tool and we will protect you. But when you look at the, like the actual evidence and the lawsuits, they don't protect you. Mm -hmm. So it's really better to just do it the right way so that you don't have to put yourself into that position. Yeah, you use the analogy of if something seems too good to be true, it is probably too good to be true. And a similar analogy would be, you know, everything that's worth doing requires a bit of hard work and this requires work. You, there's there's no correct shortcut. Imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the black hat SEO, right? We talk yeah. about how it's like SEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not yeah. really good shortcuts for that. Yeah, yeah good <laughs> I point. just saw Google saying that uh, any sort of AI generated content they consider spam and are against, <laughs> you know, could get you right. And it's sort of the same thing. AI generated accessibility. Yeah. Not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, well, we don't need to say much more on that, do we? That's a, that, that sentence encapsulates it beautifully. The... The scenario may arise where I am very keen to do all the accessibility things um, on the website for the company I work for. However, I am employed by somebody who is less inclined to do these kind of things because ultimately it's going to be um, a drain on the resources. So I'm just wondering if you've got any tips or tricks that you may may have got up your sleeve in order to try and persuade people who are reluctant to move forward with this, are there any journal articles or blogs that you would recommend going to? I mean, we know there's the threat of the law um, and all of that, but I'm just wondering if the if you've got any good advice for how to how to persuade people who need to be persuaded that this is worth doing. Yeah. So, as much as it's, you know, we wish we could just say it's the right thing to do and everybody would want to do it. I think a lot of times you have to talk about what the business case is for it. And yes, there's the the fear-based motivations of a lawsuit. I don't really, we, if you go to our website, you notice we might mention lawsuits here or there, but we're not heavy on that. I don't really like motivating people with sticks, right? I would mm -hmm. rather do it with carrots. And so if you are trying to convince your client or your boss, if you work in-house at a company, that accessibility is worth investing in. There are some real benefits to businesses that can be highlighted. Uh, for example, a lot of accessibility features actually help your search engine optimization because they are improvements to the HTML semantics on the website. They are, when we're talking about those links and having good anchor text, that's a really great helper for accessibility or having alt text on images, um, but also for search engines. Search engines benefit from knowing what a link is about too. Um, so honestly, like a, a good thought about that is the Google bot. Yeah. It's probably the most common blind user of your website. <laughs> good point. Uh, 
And, and so, so search engine optimization is there. Um, frequently, accessibility improvements will improve the speed of a website, which again goes back to SEO, but also can impact your conversions and your bounce rate, things like that. So accessibility will bring more people to your website. Accessibility will keep more people on your website, which then assuming you have you know good calls to actions and all that kind of things could mean that accessibility will increase your conversions or your sales or whatever it is that the goal of your website is. Um, so there's there and there are some some studies and some numbers out on that if you have a boss or a client who's really driven by that. Um, another thought too for larger organizations is a lot of larger organizations these days there is pressure to have more of a focus on um, the ethics of the business or how they're engaging in the community um, from a social good perspective. And there's a lot of businesses that have diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And including people with disabilities with the other groups that you're focusing on, maybe it's people with color and LGBTQ, but people with disabilities are part of um, DEI. And so really, if that is something that your company has included in their values or as part of their corporate initiatives, then you really do, it's, it's easier, I think, to sell accessibility as part of that and as a way that you can actually meet those initiatives and live up to it. And, you know, it, it does not hurt to share your efforts and say, hey, we've improved these things on our website to make it more accessible for people with disabilities as you make improvement publicly. Like I think that that, that will make prospective customers or clients think better of you and better of the organization as a whole. So it can kind of help your overall brand reputation. Yeah, it's interesting that all of the all of the things you've said over the last two or three minutes are all very positive and affirmative, aren't they? There's a, there's a whole range of things. Obviously, there is the law, but there are a boatload of things and good reasons and profitability being one of them. You know, you might make more sales because of this, and Google may very well discover your website, and you can you can display with pride all of this information on your website that you've. You've made those endeavors and tried to make things work better. Sadly, our time is up, but um, I'm very keen to get your get your name out there. And if anybody is interested in speaking to you about this, what's the best place to to discover you? Yeah, so if you're on Facebook and you join the um, WordPress Accessibility Facebook group, I am there all the time. And then um, I'm on Twitter pretty frequently. My handle is Ocor blog, which is A-U-C-O-E-U-R blog, kind of remnants from my early, early days as a blogger. Um, and, and then, of course, our website is equalizeddigital.com. Amber Hines, thank you very much for chatting with me on the podcast today. Thank you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Absolutely fascinating. Amber Hines, obviously a real proponent for accessibility online and full of useful ideas, useful information about what you need to do and how to go about doing it. If you're interested in finding out more, you can head over to wpbuilds.com and look for the show notes. 
it is episode number 288 that you're looking for and all of the links and things that we suggested looking at in this episode you'll find them there please feel free to leave a comment either good or bad quite happy to accept bad comments as well as good comments we just like the conversation if you enjoy those kind of conversations we've also got a facebook group wpbuilds.com forward slash facebook where you can join over 3100 very polite may i stress the word polite wordpressers who are having a conversation over there about all things wordpress the WP Builds podcast was brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL, and 24 7 support. Bundle that with The Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients, and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by going to go.me forward slash. WP Builds. And we really do thank GoDaddy Pro for their ongoing support of the WP Builds podcast. Okay, we'll be back next week. As this was an interview episode, next week it'll be a chat with David Wormsley and myself because we like to flip-flop between an interview and a chat with David and I. Don't forget, we'll be back this week in WordPress, the live show happening Monday at wpbuilds.com forward slash live. That's 2 p.m. UK time, and then we'll repurpose that as a podcast episode the following day. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I really do enjoy making these for you. Have a good week. Stay safe. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.